That being said, I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. And for those of you that aren't familiar, or that are familiar with Luke chapter 2, um, and, and familiar with the season that we're in, you're probably already going, what are you talking about, Jim? Why are we in Luke 2? Well, I'll tell you, because that's why I'm here today. Shocker. So we're picking up our study in verse 22, and what we're going to do is we're actually going to jump forward beyond the Christmas story uh, today, believe it or not. Though we are in Advent, we're going to place our eyes on Anna and on Simeon, and if you don't know them, we'll get to know them, two very devout God followers who have spent many decades waiting on the arrival of Jesus. Now, if you've heard the word waiting and you know what the word Advent means, then you kind of get where I'm going today. Advent actually talks about that exact thing, us waiting on Jesus. The truth of the matter is that we're in a world today, though, that even though we, we, we want to, to wait on Jesus and we want to engage what it means to celebrate his birth and be excited about that, first of all, if you're like me, you're already ready for this to be over, right? Because this little part of my life can't stand it. it are, why, does my, why do my pants feel hot right there? I'll tell you why. Because money's flying out at a breakneck speed at this point. No, but really, I mean, the, the, the problem is that, that as we want to enter into, to, to, to enter into the, the, the joy and the peace and the hope of what it means for Jesus to have come, there's an entire world that isn't that language necessarily. Sometimes it might sound a little bit like it, but it isn't necessarily, and we'll get, we'll get a little bit into that. The reason we're doing this is that we, we catch Anna and Simeon in the text we're in today, mid-waiting. Um, and even as we, we enter into our, our sermon series during Advent, which we're calling Vintage Christmas, we recognize that there is a sense of trying to get back to what's real, trying, trying to get back to what's authentic, trying to get back to the roots, to the origin of what it, what it was, right? So when, when I say that word vintage, as in vintage Christmas, or maybe even we'll get to this, vintage waiting, you know what vintage means, right? We all know what vintage means. If I say vintage wine... You understand vintage wine, right? We, we kind of get that. What's its vintage, its origin, its roots? If I say, if you, you and I are talking about movies or, or some, some celebrity that's being really cool and they do something amazing and I go, oh my, well, that's vintage James Bond. You kind of know what I'm talking about, right? And for those of you that know, you also know that Sean Connery is the best and original only James Bond, right? <laughs> there is also what we would call vintage what I would say is if, some, if you and I are walking around in, in, in the world today and, and someone says, hey, my pleasure, you and I know that's vintage what? Chick-fil-A, right? Vintage Chick-fil-A, because they say it all the time. And you're surprised, actually, when you hear someone say it outside of the context of Chick-fil-A. You're like, what? I'm not even in Chick-fil-A. And you said, my pleasure. And if, and if I said vintage 80s, you might say, oh, well, vintage haircut with the, the spiky things and all the colors, and, and maybe it's the music, or maybe it's shows that we watched, or maybe it's the boom boxes that we carried, right? Or if someone is expressing ridiculous behavior and just whining a whole lot on the field, you might say, oh, well, that's vintage Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Don't even know why that's up there, but too soon? Not too soon. Right, but it's back to its origins. I mean, you know, Aaron Rodgers fans, it's okay. He, he, he'll be fine. He may have taken a big check last week, just like, you know, he does always. So he's good. Um, 
No, but it's back to its origins, back to its roots, back to what's authentic, what it was meant to be. That's authenticity. And Simeon and Anna actually help us consider what it would mean to enter into vintage waiting, waiting that is about what it's supposed to be about, waiting that's in line with the origins of what waiting really was over millennia and centuries. If you know the Bible, there was a lot of waiting. In fact, most of the story of the Bible is really about a lot of waiting, right? So we have a decent amount of text here, Anna, Simeon, I would really love to go in depth, but we're not going to get a chance to, but I would like to still go line by line. I'm going to draw your attention to a few things, so we're going to enter into all of that, okay? So let's pray as we begin. God, we need you, how we need you. As we, as we worship you with our mind, by entering into your word, by, by considering the way our brain even works and engaging you with you, you created us, right? And through the power of your spirit, would you reveal to us what you need to? May the things that I would love to say not be things that I would necessarily say, but, but the things that you want me to say. And the things that you want to land on us, would those, would those reign, would your spirit reign supreme there and, and do the work that you do? In Jesus' name, we give you this time, we give you this space, we actually also release our own sense of what we're waiting for to you. In your name, God's people said, amen, amen. So let's get into it. Luke 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verse 22. Now, let me set this up. Jesus, um, <laughs> this is a quick setup. Jesus has been born. Okay, next. So, Jesus has been born. I literally have a, wrote, a note that says set up context, and I'm like, well, yeah, it also says Jesus. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Um, verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two doves and two young pigeons. Now, the reality today is that I got stuck on trying to edit a video and making sure that that was loaded up because we had some technical issues. So my slides for all of the text are not here. So if you have a Bible on your phone, you have a Bible on your iPad or whatever it is you got, I'd please encourage you. Or if you don't have something that you can open, there is a Bible, there are Bibles in the back, or you can listen to the sultry sounds of my voice. <laughs> now, you're, now you're thinking, is it sultry? No, it's not sultry. It's not about my voice, it's the word of God. Okay, so <clears throat> bear in mind that the separation between Jesus, the law of Moses, is, is like 1,600 years. So there's a huge amount of time that has gone by. And so these, these religious rituals, these religious rites and passages and, and, and rhythms have been in place. This isn't like saying, oh, every year Jim talks about how he loves fake cranberry sauce more than regular cranberry sauce. Like, this isn't that, right? Like, I tell you every year how I really, I really want to open a can and I really want there to be the little rings in the, in the jello thingy, the jelly, and, and I want to shake it, and it kind of comes out, and it makes the noise, and I want it to jiggle a little <laughs> before it goes on the plate, right? How many, let's just take a poll. How many of you prefer that? Some of you can't even do it because you know who's sitting next to you. I know this. Because <laughs> that person's like, do you realize how long it takes to make natural cranberry sauce? But this isn't that. This is a ritual that's taken place over millennia. It is, it is woven into the very fibers of who they are. Their very, their very identity. This isn't, oh, I like it, it's nostalgic and feels good. This is who they are. This is how they identify with God. So, so this rhythm to, to go there, right, um, to go to Jerusalem and present him to the Lord is a big deal. They are first century Jews. This is Mosaic law that determined this is 1,600 years ago. Present him to the Lord. Just remember this. 
Remember in the Old Testament, and for those of you that don't know, in the Old Testament, the very presence of God was a big issue. It had to do with the tabernacle before there was a temple, and then once there was a temple, the presence of God. <laughs> there were places in which the presence of God was there. So this wasn't like you know, me saying, hey, we're going to dedicate our child. It's not a bad thing that we do here, but again, it's so woven into their identity, and it's woven into who God is, his very presence, right? So presenting him to the Lord. This wasn't just, hey, we're going to go to him. Hey, this is good, good stuff. No, we're going to present him to God. And he's going to be consecrated, which means to be set apart for, right? Now, Mary may have had a clue from the very beginning that something was up with her son, right? It might have had to do with the angel and then the whole getting pregnant thing, right? But this is a consecration to be set apart for something special. Now, verse for God, for now, verse 25, now, and here we go, stay with me, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. Remember, Jerusalem is very what? Jewish, right? Jerusalem is very Jewish, center of culture, center of the Jewish life, center of the identity. It actually was a stalwart image of the identity of Judaism. <sighs> there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. So not only did he believe it, he lived it out. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Israel are God's people. The consolation part comes because with following God, there have been a whole lot of times where they fell short, right? And, and by nature of the way they fell short, a whole lot of things kind of come out of that, right? You put your hand on a hot stove, guess what? You burn yourself. So there's a lot of wounding that comes out of that. There's separation from knowing who God is and, 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 and feeling as if you are, being, you are his and being his and entering into the life that he has for you. There is a lot of wounding that happens externally as well as internally. They are waiting on consolation. They, they have been wounded and need that healing. So he's, he's righteous, he's devout, he's waiting on consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. For those of you that know, this is pre-John 20, pre-Acts 2. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. We'll get into that in a minute. Moved by the Spirit, the Spirit's now been mentioned three times, he went into the temple courts. And remember, the temple, in general, the temple was a center of life, and so, so much is going on. He went into the, tenor, the, the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, he, gathered the child in, he took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, and that's in verse 28, we'll stop there for a second. Simeon, righteous and devout, that's what I want you to know. Note again, the Holy Spirit is on him, and again, it's pre-John, Jesus breathing the Spirit upon. It's also pre-Acts 2, when the Spirit came upon them in Pentecost. And, 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 and Simeon's life is marked by waiting, the consolation of Israel, I already talked about that. I'll only say this in regards to consolation. If he was waiting... I, I will tell you this, that anyone that was listening to this in the first century most likely had heard and possibly even remembered the prophecies from Isaiah. Remember, Doug had talked for a while about the rabbis and how the, the, the life of the rabbi, you know, a, a teaching rabbi would say, we stuff them with Torah, right? Those young people, they got Torah all day, every day. So many of them, of those young men that were considering to be rabbis, they knew this already, right? However, Many people might also know it. I can't, I'm not saying that they did, but a lot of first century listeners would probably go, oh, here's an interesting thing when he talks about consolation of Israel because here's Isaiah, 4, or Isaiah um, uh, 40. When he talks about consolation, it says this in Isaiah 40, verses one through two. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, remember who Jerusalem is, and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. Right? So that consolation is a big thing. He's been waiting on healing. And remember that if you were Jewish, 
it isn't, it isn't the same for us in the first century, or the first century, us in the 21st century, it is so different to say uh, uh, you and I versus me, right? Because the, the Jewish culture was extremely together. So you and I was just you and I. There, there, there's no delineation, right? If it happens to you, if it happens to us, it's a very me thing as well. So that, that, that healing, that consolation is, an owner, is owned by all of us. And then the last thing I would tell you is, remember it said um, in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. So a couple things occur to me, and we'll get to this way later, no one thinks about this kind of stuff, you know, other than me. My wife is like, you're so morose. <laughs> but you don't start thinking about, hey, is this going to happen before I die? Unless you're a little older, right? right? Now, some commentators have suggested that he was at death's door, but there, are, there is zero evidence that that was the case. We can tell you, we can, I can say this from the text, and they will tell you this from the text. He was definitely older, at least to such a degree, to where there had been a fatigue in waiting, and he was also old enough to consider what death would look like. So he was waiting on the consolation. Um, he, he, was, he, was, he, he had been promised, by the way, that he would, not, he would not pass before seeing the child. And then lastly, I just say again, moved by the, the, the Spirit. In verse 28, hang on with me. Again, let's get back to my voice, but not my voice. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So now Simeon has come. They have come to follow the rule. Simeon says this. He takes the child in his arms and says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, points to the promise, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's talking about himself. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, light, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the, and glory, and the glory for your, of your people, Israel. Let me say that last line again because I stumbled upon all of it. Which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, the salvation's in the sight of everyone, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, so the non-Jewish people, and, and glory for your own people, Israel. So it's for literally everybody. And this is God's promise to Simeon. We're going to note that. He says, hey, you promised me. And you can now dismiss me in peace. And then that the salvation is visible to everyone. Verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. We'll get to that word in a second. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. And mama's in the room. I know that you probably have at least one time or another just entered into this. This child will be destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the hearts of many, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then that last line, a sword will pierce your own soul too. That word marveled at the child's mother and father who we know are. Yeah, you're tracking. Yes. If you were like Paul and, you know, I don't know, Melanie, you'd be like, oh no, we got to go back. Uh, Mary and Joseph marveled, that word is tafmatso, which means wonder, amazed, and in awe. And remember, Mary had seen a lot. Joseph had seen a lot. They, they had already witnessed a lot of things, and now it's just continuing revelation to see what's going on. Bigger and bigger things are coming, and they're not always necessarily great. So that marvel, wonder, and awe instantly must have shifted, because then he says, um, it will, the child will be the, uh, the cause of rising and falling of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against right? So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So there's strife, there's turmoil, there's also a calling out of some that's going to happen. It's going to occur in the future. And then lastly, and the only thing I'll say about this is lastly, that sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. It's a beautiful story without the cross and the tomb. But it's not the gospel. 
without the cross and the tomb, right? And so even as we, we see that, you know, those of us that kind of know, you, may, you, you know, the parents in the room, it kinda, you check yourself and you, you take a breath because you know the reality of the beauty of the story and, and the beauty in the eternal cosmological scale of salvation that comes out of all of that is because of that line. It's because of what happens based on that line. Verse 36 <clears throat> Oh, let me back up. That whole stumbling thing, by the way, in Isaiah, here's another thing, another prophecy from Isaiah. Isaiah 14, it says, he will be a holy place, referring to Jesus. For both, houses, for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. For the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. So it isn't just for the Gentiles that Jesus is, that this Messiah is gonna be problematic. It's also for the people of Israel. And so, so even as Mary and Joseph are hearing this thing, they're going, Holy moly, God is doing something huge. I'm sure they didn't say holy moly. Maybe that was a thing back then. The Bible doesn't tell us. So I'm just gonna pretend I think. No, I'm just kidding. But it's big. Verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then had been a widow for 84 years. Let's do that math in a minute. She never left the temple but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. So again, there's this waiting that's taking place. Anna, let's stop right, at, right away at the very beginning. Anna, right here in the first century, women hearing from God. Women delivering God's message, Right? to all people, not just to the local church. And then the second, secondly, let's note that she is the second person in this passage marked by waiting. She's waiting for the redemption of Israel. You know, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, right? Right? She's waiting for the redemption of Israel and she calls out to those who are also doing that. So there's consolation, there's redemption. She lived with her husband seven years and then was a widow for how long? 84 Based out of, not based out of that, but part of the evidence of what we see as her devoutness is the fact that for those 84 years as a, as a widow, she entered into following, to seeking, to, to, to going into worshiping day and night and pras, uh, uh, praying and fasting. Now let's also take a look at the timing here because it says uh, in verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, what's just happened? Coming up to them at that very moment, he, uh, Simeon had just said, this child is gonna be the cause of a lot of falling and rising. Right? There's going to be a lot spoken against, and oh, a sword is going to pierce your spirit too. So there's the wonder, there's the awe, there's the amazement, there's also probably, and I'm, I'm not adding to the text, I'm just going to, you know, I think you and I would agree that if it says a sword will pierce your own soul as a mom or as, as a mother, you're probably going, whoa, uh oh, what does that mean? That's just happened, he's just said that, and now, just then, coming up at that moment, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God, Anna did, and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption. So even as, as Mary's hearing a sword is gonna pierce your soul, she's probably breathing that in and so is Joseph. Anna comes up and says that and she speaks to all who are looking forward to redemption. Remember what redemption means though. I think the important part here is not just the timing but what redemption means because even as she's saying a sword will pierce your soul, a mom goes, what? Right? Then she's speaking into redemption. Redemption is the turning around of, the redeeming of, the cashing in, the making right of, right? We see it in Job 19 when, when God, when, when, he, when he says, in the end, I know my redeemer lives, right? And even after all of this stuff, I know that my redeemer lives and in the end, I will see him and I will be standing there and see him because he will stand. 
So even as we end there at verse 38, all who are looking forward to the redemption of Israel, I just want to remind you, and I say it usually every week that I preach, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word what? Stands forever. So, in all of this, two people who wait. They actually wait for the same thing, though they're waiting for different things, right? One is marked by the consolation that they wait for. And then the other is marked by the redemption that they wait for. And really, it is all wrapped up in one. But it begs the question, what kind of waiting are you and I doing here in Advent? And what kind of waiting does the world want us to do? What kind of waiting is the church maybe good at or maybe not good at, practiced at, maybe not practiced at? And by nature of asking that question, I'm going to bring up, because I'm always looking for an excuse for it, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Dr. Seuss. For, for, for many decades... Dr. Seuss has encouraged all of us, he's encouraged readers young and old to pursue their dreams, take advantage of their skills, their gifts, right? To, to take their go-getiveness and to run with it no matter what the, 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 no matter the ups and downs of what life affords, right? In the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, right? Do we know the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go? There's joy, excitement, anticipation, and hope as, as you and I, the readers, we kind of jump in. He says, congratulations, today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. And it's great because we, Sarah and I have given this book out for many, many years to graduates, to people who have made some big accomplishments or at large intersections of their life where a lot of change is taking place or whatever, uh, to be encouraging because it talks about the highs and lows of life and its various seasons, the ups and downs and, 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 and obstacles. And, and it even addresses at times those places in life where we get stuck, right? We get stuck. Dr. Seuss calls it what? Do you remember? The waiting place, right? The waiting place. I would suggest that the waiting place, when we look at it just at surface level in Dr. Seuss, it really represents two types of waiting, right? On one level is the Dr. Seuss level, which is why we give out the book. It's essentially... In his intent, it's an encouragement to keep at it no matter what the, the resistance and the odds and no matter how things go sideways and it kind of can stink, right? Fall down seven times, get up eight. I believe in that. But on a different level, if you stop and you think about it through the eyes of, of Christian spirituality, holy moly, there is a lot going on here. Especially because we have a world who waits for all the wrong things and not for the one who is the right thing. says this, you can get so confused that you'll start into race down long wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace and grind on for miles across weirdish wild space headed, I fear, to a most useless place, the waiting place, <laughs> for people just waiting. And I would encourage you through the, you know, God, I, I just ask you through your spirit to reveal to us, to, to speak into our hearts, because even as I see, I hear this, I, I can identify places in me and in others Hear, hear this, people of God, waiting, people just waiting, waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or they're waiting for the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or a no or don't laugh, waiting for their hair to grow. <laughs> waiting a long time since 1992. Yeah, do the math. Barely turned 20. My dad was bald by 17. Did you know that? Yeah, I mean, mostly, you know what I mean? I'm back. Okay. <laughs> Waiting for the fish to bite. 
or waiting for the wind to fly a kite or waiting around for Friday night, that's a real thing. Waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break, that's all caps. Or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance, that's also capitalized. Everyone is just waiting. And the reality is that people wait. They wait and wait and wait, sometimes their entire lives, and you need to hear a word in that. You can wait your entire life, often often in sadness, discouragement, desperation, for more than just a reset, right? We all need a reset from time to time, and that's not bad. That's okay. But today's waiting is almost always a reflection of a deeper need wired into our very being, and though Simeon and Anna seem very far off and very different from you and I, there is a common theme here. It's just that in our day and age, we, we, we have all these accoutrements and, and, and comforts that make life normal and okay. We don't necessarily even realize we're waiting on something to fill and save us. Because really, at the end of the day, what we're waiting on is rescue. Right? What is the song? I'm totally going off script. Uh, the, okay, so... Winslow, Arizona, standing on a corner in Winslow, Arizona, such a fine size. A girl, my lord, in a flatbed Ford, slowing down to look at me, right? And then it says, come on, baby, don't say maybe, something, something. I need your love to save me. Save me. Save me. How many people live that life waiting on that thing, right? It's good. It's good when someone loves you, but it's not the gospel. Hear this, waiting on what we what waiting that we do is not just a simple mental reset. It's actually waiting on rescue, and it's linked to the waiting of old, but we gotta see it. But it was obvious to the people in the Bible. In fact, Rob Bell talks about it a little bit in his book, Jesus Wants to Save Christians. He reminds us that most of the story of Christianity that we see in Scripture is written by people who wait and were always immersed under kingdoms wielding power over. It says this: most of the Bible is a history told by people living in lands occupied by conquering superpowers. It is a book written from the underside of power. It's an oppression narrative. The majority of the Bible was written by a minority of people living under the rule and reign of massive, mighty empires, the Egyptian Empire, to the Babylonian Empire, to the Persian Empire, to the Assyrian Empire, and to the Roman Empire. He goes on to say, this can make reading the Bible a very difficult book to understand if you are reading it as a citizen of the most powerful empire the world has ever seen right? Because you don't necessarily know how to enter in to abject desperation for something that will change the very fabric of your everyday life. Without careful study and reflection and humility, it may be even possible to miss central themes of certain scriptures. People with no power, okay? That's who the people in the first century were, really, underneath the empire. They were people with no power and desperate for someone to come along and rescue. But at the same time, they were people who also were broken in their own sin, right? They were broken in their own sin. In Isaiah 48, I really wanted to have this ready. Oh, I do. God's talking to them through the prophet, and he says this about the nation Israel. For I know how stubborn you were. The sinews of your neck were iron, and your forehead was bronze. Therefore, I, tell you these th- I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you so that you could not say, my images brought them about. My point being, he says your necks are the, uh, think about it. Think about history right now. They came out of the Bronze Age, Right? A bronze sword doesn't beat an iron sword, right? The iron, they're now in the Iron Age. The Iron Age, that's the titanium of back then. There is not a stronger surface by which, you know, you would wield it upon anyone and it would hurt. There's, there, the necks were so stiff 
It was the hardest thing known. Their brokenness was so abject that God said that to them. God is, and James Wilder says uh, in his book, um, uh, The Pandora Problem, God is using an analogy from the latest weaponry. Their necks were a high-tech version of hard. Their necks were like titanium steel or space-age metal. Nothing yet was known that was harder than their necks. Their brows were the next thing to it, and those were bronze, right? The picture is built of the two hardest substances of the time. God is saying they are as stiff and as hard-necked as anything that they know. So they, they not only were under someone else's power and longing for the save, salvation that comes from the, the redemption out, or the salvation out of that and rescue, but they were always also wanting to be rescued from themselves and their sin and their brokenness. The people of the Bible, Anna and Simeon, were waiting for those kinds of rescue. And guess what I think you and I are, to, are today as well. And sometimes we just don't even know it. The problem is that your and my enemy is, a man, is an enemy of misdirection. So we tend to fall victim to this and take the inner turmoil, the angst and the unease and desperation and depression and our regrets and the things that we wish had happened, the whys, why did that happen? How could you let that happen? How could I let that happen? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with people? What's wrong with the place that we're in today? We take all of those things and all of that angst and pain and frustration, wound and regret, and we pour it into waiting on all the wrong things. We're waiting for fish to bite. I'm waiting for the deer to cross the field, right? I'm waiting for my friends to say, yeah, let's just go riding, man. We gotta go hike. Let's get out of here. Let's go run, whatever. Those are good things, but they're not the gospel. Waiting for the wind to fly a kite, waiting around for Friday night, waiting for Uncle Jake, right? Someone to come in and save us or a pot to boil, a better break, a pair of pants or, or, or a string of pearls, a wig with curls, another chance. We're living in a world that has a, a, a product for every problem. Every problem, or an enemy for every pain. Hear that, an enemy for every pain. And we begin to believe that our longings, our sadness, our discouragement can all be fixed by a little brown box arriving on our doorstep. That fishing trip's gonna do the trick, that next person who likes me, the next income bump, the next job title, the next, my child's next accomplishment. They're brilliant, they're such a, they're such a genius. My child's a genius. I'm just kidding. Totally. I mean, you know this, right? As parents, we know this. They're geniuses. Our kids are the best kids that's ever, blah, 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 blah. The next change in how I look or dress or what I have, the next news story to make me angry enough, the next piece of legislation that will finally make the world what I want it to be and people will leave me alone. Or, or maybe I'm just looking forward to the next weekend. And by the way, it's not just reserved for people outside the church. It's in the church as well. It just sounds churchier, right? Oh, waiting on that right church, <laughs> I'm waiting on that right music to give me that right feeling or that right sermon that moves me emotionally just enough or that right Bible study that will rub me the right way, fill me with the right kind of knowledge so I'll feel as if I got more knowledge now. And and that's important to me, right? The right trip or the right experience, the right leader or the right pastor, all of these things are good, but they're not the gospel. Oh, and the church leadership, by the way, is also not immune. So here we are saying the things we say, we're not immune. I'll finally give that great message. I'm waiting on that great message. I'm, I'm waiting to lead that right worship service or the right song that we'll introduce to the church or, or we'll end up having the right number of people, right? We'll have the right number of people because then we'll be set up to be able to really do ministry the way we really want to do ministry and we feel called to do it. 
the right amount in our bank account, the right uh, number, quality, or image of our ministries and programs, right? Because I want you to be proud when you say to someone else, you know what, I go to Hope Covenant Church. Yeah, oh, the ones that we're out there at the mall and we got that thing that we do with the blah, 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 and the da, 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 da. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 the lights and all that. Yeah, that's us. That's <laughs> cool sign. That bald Asian guy that, pre- yes, yeah. <laughs> just kidding, that's totally... I just added that for no reason. Um, <laughs> or, or I'll say the right prayers, or maybe I'll get you to say the right prayers. Or we'll have the right image in the eye. I'll, we'll have the right, as leaders, we'll have the right image in the eyes of the congregation. Then, if you think of me well enough, yeah, then, then that'll be. It is fully possible to spend your entire life waiting in all the wrong things. Jumping from one to another, to another, to another, placing all your hope for fulfillment, your, your answers to the deepest questions about who you are and whose you will be, who my kids are, whose they will be, in all the wrong things. And guess what? At the end of all of this, friends, you and I, none of us will ever be satisfied. You know, and here's the problem with all this waiting on all the wrong things. We can be waiting on all the wrong things, and A, it's already hard to determine whether or not we're waiting on all the wrong things, but did you know this? It's also very hard to determine whether or not we're waiting. Because sometimes waiting in our day and age looks a lot like really busy and really successful. Sometimes waiting looks like I've got a list of accomplishments I have banged out and it is good to go. I am good, no problem. There is a waiting that is for and places our hopes in all the wrong things. There is a waiting though that is for and places our hopes in the only one who can fill ransom and redeem and indeed rescue us. Because essentially, at the end of the day, there's two kinds of Christmases, right? I mean, there's, there's two Christmases out there. One of those Christmases says this, have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow. There won't, by the way. <laughs> Did you know it snowed days ago at my daughter's house in Denver? I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a, gl- have, I was gonna say a glass of beer. Have a cup of cheer. <laughs> have a cup of cheer, right? And, and that's okay, Right? It's, it's good. It's, it's not the gospel. There's another Christmas, though. And it says, and it, and it stops in awe and wonder, that, that word that Mary and Joseph had about what was coming. It says, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Because it's in that night, and it's in that moment, that the beginning of all that redemption that we've been waiting on happened. When all of my regrets suddenly I realize are back there, suddenly have been left behind in an empty tomb. All those fears about what lays before are suddenly in the hands of the one who says literally in the Gospel of John, they are mine and no one can snatch them from my hand. If you have ever regretted anything, did you know that Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, essentially says, even you can't wiggle yourself free from my hold. They are mine and no one can snatch them from my hand. That is the Christmas I want. There was a there was a New York uh, New York Times article where the reporter tried to come up with an, a, 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 the definition of Christmas. Wow, that's a giant pull, right? 
He said, the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. That that sounds great. But it is not the gospel. And it is not a holy night, O night divine. It is not a fall on your knees night. Led by the Savior of the universe. So the question tonight, today, tonight, today is this, how do we recapture vintage waiting? And really, we don't have time to get any further into it, but I'm going to say this. I want to ask you this question. What kind of waiting are you doing right now? Because I know it's very easy for me to be waiting on the fact that Thanksgiving weekend is over, and now I can go sit this afternoon and find out how badly I beat Will at, small, at, at fantasy football. <laughs> I can say that because he's not here, and it's funny. And you won't know tomorrow when I've lost. <laughs> Um, it's very easy to get to, 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 end, to exit what we do here, right? And, and, and to get to that place where like, okay, well, now it's time to go think about that next thing. Okay, now Christmas is coming in a few weeks. We've got the Christmas party coming. We've got a thing for out church, blah, blah, blah. We've got a thing at school. There's a concert coming up. <sighs> what waiting are you doing? And maybe when you don't, maybe there is waiting that you're doing that you don't even necessarily realize is waiting. Maybe there's a hope that you're placing in something Maybe someone's. Maybe you're waiting for that person to come and help, or you're waiting for that relationship to happen, or you're waiting for that time off, or you're waiting for that that feeling that you just that's just so elusive, or you're waiting for that moment when you look back at the person in the mirror and you'll 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 finally I don't know like them I don't know. What kind of waiting are you doing that is not waiting on the one? The, the only way I don't really have a solution for this. I don't. There's no there's no formula, right? But I'll tell you this: that if you if you took a look today this week at Luke two chapter two verses twenty two through thirty eight, you're going to notice this: that there are three wheres, there are three whens, and there is one who. You know who the who is. The three wheres are these. These are just questions you would ask God as you go into that. We really believe there's nothing I could do that's going to go, you know, it's like an air, a, a bike tire going to go, pump you up, good to go. You're out, right? I want, I long for you to be able to enter in with the Holy Spirit into this thing. The three questions are this. Where are you, the three wheres are this. Where are you lifted? Where do you stumble? Because there's the rising and there's the falling, right? And there's also, where are you called out, right? Where the hearts will be revealed, that's in there as well. And then the whens are, when have you longed for God to fix it all? because that's in there too. When have you been tired? And you've asked that question, how much longer, God, right? And then lastly, when have you longed for his love upon your family? Because that's in there as well. And if I think back to Job, who literally sacrificed for the sake of his children in case they would have sinned when they didn't know it. And then lastly, the one, the one who returns. I'm just gonna confess one thing to you. I I struggle, I think I've struggled, I've told you this before, at times I've struggled with, I think what I would consider to be depression, it's easy for my personality type to get into to either self-accusation or selfishness in general and to get to this place where even in spite of all the things that I'm feeling, sensing, and knowing is going on either in the room, in the body, or with people I'm with in love, I can feel the breath of joy and of excitement and of victory, but also of pain and of sorrow, and I can see all those things going on, and over in my little corner, for some reason, I've got this reserved lie that I've, I've bought into my head at some point, and it, I don't always believe it, but every now and then, probably 3%, 2% of the time, it pops up and it says, your heart's ruined, and I don't know why. I can point to lots of reasons I think so, but I don't know why, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing. It's one reason why the gospel is beautiful. It's one reason why it's such a holy night to me. 
right? It's such a fall on your knees night to me. But I would tell you this, in Isaiah 52.9, for those of you that either know someone like that or are that person, Isaiah 52.9 reminds us of who that one is. There's the three wheres, there's the three whens, and then there's the one. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. I want you to know today, no matter where you've been, no matter who you've been, no matter when you've longed or what you've longed for and worried and feared and, and, and been wounded over, I want you to know today that there was an oh holy night, there was, a, there was a fall on your knees night long ago that began the process of all of it being redeemed for the sake of you and your Jerusalem heart and me and my Jerusalem heart. May you enter into those things. It's a practical series of questions. I know that. Talk to God. I, you know, I, I think the best, ex- the best uh, advice that we can give you from the pulpit is this, hey, go talk to God <laughs> because it really is a thing. There's two kinds of waiting, and I want to know today, what's the waiting that you do? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your spirit. Worship team, would you come forward? Thank you so much for your spirit. I don't believe everybody, God, feels at times like their heart has been ruined from the pain or the wounds. Um, But what I do believe is that we live in a world that, that really wants to aim for that by nature of just putting all our hope and energies into the wrong things. Would you help us to see? Would you help us to hear? Would you help us to move towards your voice? Would you help us to find you in all of the, the, the yuck of Christmas in the, in the Western world? But would you also help us to enjoy the good that you give us that is just generally good, but, but beyond that, way beyond that, over all of that, would you help us lean into what vintage waiting, real waiting is? Because there's lots of things that are very, very good about Christmas, but they're not the gospel. Would you give us you? Would you give us the gospel? In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. We'll see.